I'm going to underscore the talk today by asking the question, do you ever feel trapped by life? You can nod inside. You don't want to nod outside like you're a, like you're a psychopath or something like that. Do you ever feel like trapped by life? Like What I'm trying to think of is the way that life sometimes, like the rhythm and the, the, the beat of life is just heading a certain direction and you are helpless against the pattern of it. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that? Does, does life ever feel like that to you? It's just, you're just trapped in the vacuum of life. Things are happening. There is an expression, isn't there? We're trying to find the right expression for this. People talk about the way of things. You just go, oh, it's just like that. And that's the way it is. That's actually a, a rhyme or a, a rap from back in the day, a few nods. That's like that and that's the way it is. But we say that, don't we? It's, it, and the, the rhythm of life goes like that and there's just nothing we can do. And we are, this is the word I want to think about. We are trapped in that vortex. I'm happy that that word vortex came into my mind at that moment. It makes me feel good and intelligent just for a minute. <laughs> um, I'll give you a couple of examples of, of how, that, how that might pan out. Um, I was watching a documentary last Sunday night by a guy called Simon Reeve, wears the neckerchief things, looks like an adventurer, a few nods, does really good documentaries. He's wandering around the Mediterranean south of Spain and he's, he found himself on exploring kind of industrial farming and he found himself in this beautiful part of the south of Spain just gorgeous, these big white houses, a lot of wealth, and then maybe you saw this, just huge plastic sheeted fields. Like they're really trying to, to grow these crops just how we in the rich west like them. Just really making every effort to get it, to get it like that. And there was, there was a couple of things that I noticed. The first thing was just the guys coming over from Africa, um, to, to do the work, these immigrants coming over to Africa, to, from Africa to do the work, and just the, you, they were interviewed, and you see them in their not great clothes, and this might have been a bit staged, it might have been a bit to mit for effect, but you see this, and, you, and your heart sort of is moved by that part of the storyline, and you also, Simon Reeve went on to, to take us to a dry riverbed, and you, apparently these farmers just take the plastic, and they just chuck it away. And he opened up, he showed us this riverbed, and there is the trails of plastic going on. And as a world at the moment, we're kind of like, it's last couple of months, it's not just me, is it? We're appalled by the story of plastic, aren't we? We're moved by it. It's annoying us. We reckon it shouldn't be right. And yet there is this sense. And it's like, what can we do about it? We're just trapped, aren't we? I go along to the supermarket motivated. I'm like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this plastic. I moved and I forget my, you know, the first thing I do is I forget my shopping bags and everything, I, half the stuff I buy is coated in plastic. There's just this sense that the vortex of the world, the rhythm of the world is just so strong that even though we're moved by this stuff, there's just nothing we can do. It's just, it's just what's happening. We're still, we're going to have migrants who are like 20th century slaves. That's what that's how it's going to be. We're going to abuse our planet and dump plastic everywhere. And there's just nothing that we can do about it. Let me give you another one. Christmas is coming up. Another trap that we fall into. The Christmas overspend. And as a parent, I'm looking around and I'm like, I am, I'm focused on not, on not doing the overspend. And I feel like as a nation as well, Brexit's coming around the corner. We are motivated to save money. And yet, and, even, and Richard Lewis, do you know Richard Lewis? Nod for Richard Lewis. They, like, just, I wish I could keep him in my pocket. Do you know what I mean? He's such a smart guy. Every word that falls from his lips is just smart and makes a lot of sense. And he's telling us, don't spend any money at Christmas. Don't spend money. No, that's not what he's saying. 
Sorry, Richard. If, you, if you're listening online, I hope that you are. Don't spend money that you don't have at Christmas time. You're going you're gonna to buy gifts. He's kind of saying this on, on morning television. You're going to buy gifts, and people aren't, they're not really what people want. You're just going to be compelled because you're under the pressure to buy the gift. And, and, me and, and me and Jude will kind of sit down, and we'll tighten our belts, and we'll have a chat about this. And yet we will do because of the way of things. We will spend money that we don't have because we want to keep up with all you lot and you want to keep up with everybody else. And there's just this way, isn't there, of life where we're just kind of caught in this trap and we can't get out of it. Even though we know it's kind of not the right thing to do, even though we know we've not got the money, we just go down that road. And there's so many instances in life, I think, that are like this. I've seen them, it's Remembrance Sunday next Sunday, the lessons of war just seem so apparent, don't they? Do you know what I mean? We look around at the, mem- the memorials and we look around at the services and it's like the human race says, yeah, we've learned this lesson and yet there are wars around the corner just right there. The, the vortex of life, the rhythm of life. Question I want you to think about, what would need to happen in the world for these kind of things to be put right? What, you got any answers? I'm w- no, no answers, okay. What would need to happen for these kind of things to be put right? What would need to happen for us not to fall into the trap? I think one of the hardest things about being a human being on this earth is watching the world as it goes wrong. Do you ever feel like that when you're watching the news? It just breaks your heart. I think the Bible would give us a reason for that because we've seen and we've sensed and we've felt how awesome it could be. That's what the Bible would say. Bible would say that when we look around at creation, that's God's glory that we're seeing. That's something perfect that we're seeing. When we watch Jesus, when we hear the wisdom that drips from his mouth, we're listening to how his rule and reign will be. We're learning lessons about the kingdom, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. Sometimes it feels, doesn't it, like, like the answers to this stuff are so close. Like we know that we're abusing the world. We know that slavery is bad. It feels like the trap is so fixable. We can get out of it at any time. And yet it's so far away. We're just trapped. We're going to look at a character in the Bible. The passage will magically appear for us behind my head. And it's almost like a case study of a character in the Bible. And it gives us so much to think about who is, who is trapped. Who is trapped in the rhythm of life. And we're going to hear the words of Jesus that he will speak to him. One a couple of awesome sentences that will give us a way out of those traps. And, I would, and my contention would be, as the preach pastor guy, it's the only way to get out of these traps, the answers that Jesus gives. Read with me uh, from verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, and I know we've just read these things, but I think it's good to have God's word fresh in our ear. It certainly helps me. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Apart from your teeth, I think the knees are just about the worst place to fall on. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have done all these since I was a boy. Jesus looks at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he says. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad 
because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Two things I want you to think about about this man. There's lots you could say about the rich young ruler. And I think I've added a description on there that Mark doesn't give us. I think Luke adds that he's, that he's a ruler. I think that's right. He's rich and he's young and he's a, ru- a ruler. And it's hard to imagine he's not good looking, right? I don't know any rich young rulers that are ugly guys. I think you can sort of, anytime I think about this guy, I think he's definitely going to be a handsome guy. But the two things I want you to, to, to dwell on is that he is an earnest guy. He's a genuine, earnest guy, and he is a guy who is trapped. Just think about the way that it is described in coming to Jesus. He runs towards Jesus. Now, we see lots of people running today in the lycra and all that jazz. They're everywhere, aren't they? You can't, I'm one of them, not with the lycra, but in the lycra, they're everywhere. But in these times, you didn't run. You didn't run like that because you had a different garb on. You had a different setup. And people would see you coming, especially if you're a rich, you're this rich ruler. You've got some fancy Dan gear on and you come flying across. Everyone's going to turn their heads. He's not going to want people to look at him. He's desperate to meet Jesus. He's running and he falls on his knees. He doesn't, like the Pharisees would do, tell him to sit down and discuss it. He doesn't eyeball him. He gives him his place. He sits down. He's not come there to brag about how good he is although it sounds like he's pretty good when he runs through the list of commandments that he's kept. I fall short on lots of them as he runs through them. This guy, so sometimes you just have this picture of your mind, this guy's a big head who's come to brag. This guy is on a genuine search, I think. I mean, he might be all those things. He might be rich and he might be young and he might be a ruler, but he's on a genuine search. I think this guy, despite all of this life that he lives, about all of these credentials that he has, he feels like there's something missing. And Jesus looks at him, and he loves him, and he says, despite all this, you still lack one thing. I think Jesus is willing him on at this point. I don't think he wants to try and go out of his way to make an example of this guy. I think he's willing him to get it right. And he's saying to him in this moment, man, you're close. Jesus will go on, if you read on through Mark, next couple of chapters, he'll say that a couple of times to these clever guys who know the law. He says, you're close, but you're not quite there. You need to sell everything that you have and follow me. What's Jesus saying to him in this moment? Saying, imagine for a second, all this stuff that you have, this clout that you've got, this image that you've got, this stuff you can rest in, this money, this big home you've got, that means when you walk down the street, everybody looks at you knows who you are, knows you've done some good things. Imagine for a second, this is what Jesus does to him. He says, I want you to imagine for a second that you don't have any of that and you're just stood here just like a normal human being without any of that. In a sense, we're condemning the man, this rich young ruler. That's, but I think we need to understand his trap. I'm the, I'm the preacher guy. And basically, you know, one of the rules the preacher guy is Jesus is is right Jesus has got a lot of good things to say and anybody that disagrees with him at any point is probably not doing a good thing so you've got to look that way but look at this guy's circumstances look at the way things are for him he's got 
this position. He's got this big house back home. He's got the feeling of capitalism running through society that impacts all of us. He knows that if he doesn't go and take his seat on the council, somebody else will take his seat. If he doesn't go back to his big house, somebody else will go back to his big house. If he doesn't prioritize his wife, give her everything that she needs, somebody else will look after his wife. He is trapped in the way of things. He's trapped. The flow and rhythm of life are too strong. Jesus says to him, these are the wise words, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. We've wrestled with this teaching and if you read through, if you've got a spare 25 hours, get the commentaries out on Mark's gospel and you will read through the different ways they interpret this. And we've done all sorts of different interpretations. Like one of the common ones that comes around is that it's like the eye of a needle in the gate of a city wall and the camel comes all loaded up. And if you take all the stuff off, you might just be able to get him through. I'm not sure that's what Jesus was going for. I think Jesus has want, wanted you to think of the tiniest, smallest space you could imagine and the biggest, ugliest looking animal you could imagine. So you were forced to screw your face up and go, there's no way, there's no way in the world that that camel's gonna get through that needle. There's no way that the rich man is gonna get into heaven. It's what Jesus is saying, part of the things that Jesus is saying, because it's not just about money. People whose core identity, whose sense of self, self, <laughs> whose sense of self comes entirely from earthly stuff, he's gonna struggle to make it into the kingdom of heaven. This is tough stuff, isn't it? I've been reading a book um, called The King's Cross by a guy called Tim Keller. He speaks about this subject, he speaks about this guy, and he speaks about money, and he gives us something to think about. It's not a theory that he's willing to set his life on, but he says, he almost writes it in the book, like, I just want you to think about this. Think about Christianity. All the other world religions have stayed in the same spot pretty much all the time. Christianity's moved about. It's gone from place to place. It's gone from Jerusalem to Rome, it's gone from Rome to Northern Africa as its center, as its core. It's gone from Northern Africa across to Europe, and then we know now where it is now. It's not so much in Europe, but it's in America and it's in other parts of the world, and it's going on now. The center of Christianity, the big populist Christianity is in Africa, India, South America, places like that. He gets us to think about the fact that Christianity really struggles, in fact, almost can't survive where there's any money. He says it just gets really hard. And I guess he writes this book challenging his own nation of America to say, we've got lots of money. And this is a term flying around the evangelical circle in America that it's post-Christian. And in the presence of great wealth, Tim Keller suggests that Christianity really struggles. Jesus says that it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to try and scare you to death. I want to try and at least get you to listen and think about it. We live as a blessing in one of the richest countries in the world. We have first world problems. We heard that sort of chat before. Oh, first world problems. Should I have a, a grande latte? Should I have a regular size latte? Which film should I watch on Netflix? There's nothing to watch on Netflix. Oh no, there's a thousand films I could watch on Netflix. Google at our fingertips. We can buy everything. We can know everything. We've got so much investment in the world at our fingertips. 
we are wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. Here's what Jesus would say to us, I think. And I want us to be scared by it, and I want us to really feel it. He's saying to us, it's going to take a miracle for you to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples sort of say this. It's who, who then can be saved? Jesus said, it's not possible with man, but it's possible with God. What is he saying? He's saying it's going to take a miracle. Here's one of the things that gets me in my pastor role. And I'm troubled when I see people that are miles away from God. And I see that storyline, and we've got to do something about that. But the amount of people that I meet who I would say and describe as close... The amount of conversations I have with people who I would want to say, you are close. You ever get that feeling when you pray and you, and you just feel like, you, just, you might even verbalize it, you might even say, it just feels like it's not getting above the roof. I just feel like I'm just not really connecting to God. I think Jesus would say to us, it's hard for a rich man to find his way into the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I'd say to you as your pastoral assistant. In a rich land, you're going to need to search for Jesus. You're going to need to search for God and for a relationship with him with all your heart. And if you do that, then you'll find him. The disciples ask, seeing this storyline, seeing this awesome dude who they're like, oh, we should just have him along. You know, this good-looking rich young ruler, we could do with a few bob. This would be a great guy to, ha to have along. He clearly knows the Bible really well. They say, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? You could flip that question on its head and say, how on earth, if he can't break out of the trap of life, if, he, if he's stuck in the money trap of life, what hope is there for any of us? How can any of us escape the traps? How do we not in our day and age? How do we not abuse the planet with plastic? How do we not perpetuate slavery? How do we not be governed by greed? And maybe initially you go, well, let's think about this as 21st century scientific, uh, fully evolved species that we are. We can, we can educate. We, could, we can inform. We can recycle better. We can innovate better. We can do all these things better. I wonder if you ever, you ever see the innovations of man, you ever see this storyline going, and you see, that's great. Yeah, that's what we've got to do. We've got to do things like that. But you think to yourself, man, I think the answer is going to be a lot deeper than this. I don't think we need another thing to do. I think God looks at us like Jesus would look at the rich, young ruler. He comes there earnestly, genuinely saying, tell me what to do next. And Jesus says something to him flips it on his head and saying, I'm not going to give you the next thing to do. I'm going to ask you a question that makes you look and search inside at the motive of your heart. That's what Jesus does. I'm not going to give you anything else to do. It's the same thing we do. I think he would look at us the same. And we're looking around and going, what can we do next with these traps that life throws us? And I think Jesus would throw us the curveball and ask us a question and I think this is going to be your story. If you're, if you're a person of faith and you're on a journey of faith, some point in that story, God's going to take you to a place where you're forced to wrestle with that and think that through. It's not the next thing that you can do to carry on your faith. God's going to flip one at you that makes you look at your own heart and say, what is the motivation of my heart? What is the color of my soul? 
Jesus would say, I think, if you want to change the world, don't think about the next thing you're physically able to do. Think about your soul. The answers to the traps of life go deeper than the things we are able to do. It's about what's going on in your heart. And I want to encourage you. With real heart change, we can be part of the team that changes the world. So, Jesus gives us something to think about in this moment. It refers the disciples back to a story as they're trying to work out, well, what will this look like? How do we get to this place of radical change? How do we, how do we get here? If that's the answer, if heart change is the answer, then what does that look like? And he tells this rich young ruler, and I want to pick the word abandon here, he tells this rich young ruler to, to drop everything, sell everything you've got in order to come and follow me. And he gives them, I think, a little clue in the text. He, talk, he refers to them as little children. And I think he takes them back to the story that he's told a couple of times about how Jesus deals with little children. It's that radical a change. The story, um, you can read it in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 10. It's the occasion when people are bringing the little children to Jesus and the disciples are like doormen. They're like shooing them away. Like, don't bother him with this. This is the Messiah. This is, he's more important than this. Don't don't trouble him with this. And Jesus, in the strongest way that he can, he rebukes them and he says to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. He shows them what the radical news is. And you think to yourself, why does why does Jesus point us towards this kind of regression? Why is he telling us that we need to become like little children? Is it, is it because there's value in us running in circles and getting our heads sweaty? Is it because we need to enjoy sugary drinks more? Is it because we need to enjoy the simple things more in life? I think he's doing this to, to remind us of the beautiful, vulnerable capacity to trust that children have and adults lose when we realize how horrible the world is. Trust is the key. Trust like a little child. Let me just, little child, let me just pan this thought out for you. I don't know how you get on when you need to go to sleep. I think adults and children of the age that Jesus was, so it's described in the text as children that Jesus could hold. So I, my kids are too big for me to hold anymore. So I think we're, we're about 10 down to about four, something like that. And I'm really guessing. I'm thinking that's the kind of age that Jesus he's talking about. Could be a little bit either way. I'm trying to think about when you as an adult need to get off to sleep, you would order yourself and prepare yourself for the next day. Let's say you've got a business meeting, you know, you've got, you need uniform ironed or you need something like that. You just have this little ritual. You just go, you'd, you'd box tick. You go, I'm going to sort myself out so I am prepped and I am ready for tomorrow night. I'm going to organize myself. If you are a child of the kind of age that you can hold in your arms, you just look to the person who loves you, make sure that they're there and you fall fast to sleep. There is a beautiful, honest, trust in a child. There can be chaos going on 
And if the person who loves the child is there and tells them that everything's going to be all right, you can be lost in the woods, you can be broken down at the side of the road, you can be wherever you want. And if the person that loves the child looks them in the eyes and says, everything's going to be all right, the child looks back and he thinks everything's going to be all right. Whatever the chaos, children can abandon themselves and trust the person that loves them. This is the kind of radical change that Jesus calls us to. This is what it looks like. It looks, it looks like an adult who abandons everything that he knows in order to trust somebody. It looks like a rich person, a person with everything, willing to abandon all his wealth to go and walk with Jesus. That's what it looks like. Sometimes when I think about what Jesus asks, the rich young ruler, I wonder what he says to himself as he walks away. This is just how my mind works. You know what I mean? After he's had this encounter with these 12 poor-looking fellows on the road, and he's thought that all the answers were there, I wonder, I wonder what he said to himself as he walked back down the road, as he took his seat in court, as he got back to his big house. I bet he... And I don't know, but I wonder, I shouldn't say I bet he, I wonder if he thought to himself, what right, what right has this man got to tell me that I need to sell all my stuff? The cheek of it. What gives him the right? He's got no idea of my journey, of my life, of what I've done to get for where I am. What do we read about Jesus? It says that Jesus looks at him, and he loved him. What right has Jesus got to tell this man, this man, this young man, what right has Jesus got to tell this young man to think about sacrificing his whole life? He's got his whole life ahead of him. What right has Jesus got to tell this rich guy, untold wealth? The disciples can't even imagine this kind of wealth. What right has Jesus got to say, give all that up? What right has Jesus got to say to him, that ruler position you've got, just drop that? Here's what I'm going to say to you. There's only Jesus could look somebody straight in the eye, somebody with everything, and tell them to drop it all because Jesus can look at them and go, I know exactly what you mean. He says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him because he knew what it meant to give up everything. Only Jesus can ask somebody to give up everything that they might somehow wonderfully evade the traps of life that they might be part of a group of people who can point to a way out of the traps of life only Jesus could ask us to do this and he does this is the gospel stripped back <laughs>